exactly. So, hey, we're so glad that you're here. Thanks for coming and taking uh, some time out on Saturday to come and be here. It means a lot to me, um, and uh, I'm super pumped about having Ernie here. Talked to Ernie uh, just about a month ago, maybe, and we decided, yeah, let's get you in. Anytime Ernie's like, hey, I'm in your area. Okay, come, you're coming. So uh, we love Ernie's passion, his uh, uh, spirit of evangelism, the, the anointing on his life is just so powerful. So a lot of that you're going to get. Be ready to take notes, lots of notes, um, and uh, we're going to have an awesome, awesome time. Will you guys welcome Ernie Kruger, and let's just love on him. We love Ernie. Thanks, buddy. Love it. Awesome, guys. But hey, it's, it's great being here. I, I told Pastor Chris, I said, now listen, when you have a prophetic conference, half your church will be there at least. I said, when you have an evangelism conference, uh, if we have 10% of your church, we'll be really happy with that. So I do know if you are here, I just talked to Terrence. I said, hey, man, tell me your story. And, uh, and he started pinpointing exactly how he got saved. So he has a down. And that's very typical with people that goes to an evangelism training. Uh, I'm pretty sure you guys have a presupposition or lean towards sharing your faith with people. So how many of y'all have ever led anyone to Jesus? Like you have met them, walked into the whole project, led them to Jesus, got them baptized, filled in the Holy Spirit, active member of the local church. Raise your hand. This is not to humiliate or edify anyone but Jesus. Just anyone in here ever done that before? Okay, one hand, Sarah, I know she has to. She's the president of our campus ministry. That's a prerequisite. <laughs> we have a works-based gospel. No, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't. Okay, awesome. Well, my name is Ernie. Uh, my wife and kids, you guys will meet tomorrow at church. I'll throw a picture up of them. I've got five kids. Um, I've got a, a nine-year-old. When you have five, you've got to think about the ages. A nine-year-old, a six-year-old, a five-year-old, a two-year-old. It's about to be three in a few days. And then we've got a three-and-a-half-month-old. Month so last night I got about three hours of sleep. I was up at four this morning praying, going over my notes for today. And I was like, Lord, thank you so much I get to do this with my family. So they travel with us. We live in Dallas. Um, so that's where I'm a campus director, actually, for Every Nation um, on, at UNT Sarah as the president of our campus ministry. And so I'll just start off with this, with a, just a brief introduction, is that my um, wife and I got into campus ministry about two years ago. Before that, prior to that, um, I got saved in South Africa on a campus. Um, I was a professional rugby player. And uh, I was 19 years old when everything I ever wanted or dreamed about became a reality. And I had something that's called existential despair. When, you know, you guys understand existentialism is material stuff, anything that's outside stuff. So I had everything I wanted and I thought that that would produce in my heart happiness or a sense of peace. And it did the exact opposite. It showed me how empty I am. And then I thought, well, if I have everything I ever wanted, I'm still empty what do I do? Like, what, where do I find this happiness? How is this, um, where, where, where can I seek peace for my soul, so to speak? And I remember laying in bed at night, rolling around, thinking, man, I so then we'll go hit the club, close the club at four in the morning, go back home, and I just could not find rest for my soul. And then I said, well, maybe if I date this person. So I dated Miss South Africa. Then I dated after that. I dated someone else. Um, there was a, an international model. And, and I thought, well, maybe there's happiness in that. And I didn't find it in that. In fact, one night I laid uh, next to, before I got saved, this, this girl that I was dating. And I saw a demon in her. And it scared the living lights out of me. I mean, I, I just jumped up and I thought, this is crazy. And, and that's really was, that was the moment where, and I heard this voice say, you're going in the wrong direction. 
And in that time, a, a friend of mine became a, uh, started uh, played rugby with me, started pursuing me, and he started pursuing me in an unusual way. We weren't great friends. He was really more a teammate and an acquaintance. But he started making me a priority, and, and he would pick me up in the morning for coffee and breakfast, and, and, and every time I was with him, this heaviness that I live with would lift, and I would think, that, this is pretty, I kind of like this guy, because when I'm with him, I feel better, and then he would drop me back off at my house, and, and I would think, gosh, this heaviness and my, just the weight of my life, my sin would just weigh me down again, and then he would pick me back up, and I would feel the same thing, so I said, hey, where do you go to church? So I started going to his church, and, and I would feel the sense of lifting, but the moment I leave, the, the same heaviness would come right back up, and in that process, um, about a year later, um, God, it took a long time for me to actually acknowledge my need for Jesus. I, I was raised religious, thought I was saved, um, re relied on my own works for salvation. And uh, little did I know that the weight I was feeling is the weight of my sin because none of my works could ever be enough, could ever mount up to the righteousness of Christ, you know. And the moment I heard that I surrendered my life to Jesus and boom, instantaneously my life got transformed. I was 19 years old. I was suicide. I thought about suicide every single day of my life. Um, I thought that's the only way out. I mean, how do you escape this terrible, just heaviness? It's, it seems almost inescapable. You know, it just doesn't matter what you do or where you go. You can't get rid of this. And obviously found that joy in Jesus. And 13 years later today, I still have that joy. Um, so praise God that he doesn't leave us. You know, he said, I will be with you always. In Matthew 28, the last uh, verse of Matthew 28, he said when he, when he gives him the great commission, he says, listen, I'm with you always. I'm never leaving you. So 13 years ago, uh, I got saved. And 13 years, this, this day, I know him better. I love him more. I'm more excited about him today than I've ever been. I've seen more of his goodness and faithful, faithfulness in my life than I ever thought I could, more than what I deserve. Um, and uh, I just love seeing people encounter that love. Who in here has been saved, let's say, for about a decade? Okay. Okay. Who's been saved for maybe two decades? Okay. That's fantastic. Jay's like, I'm not going to give it away. Um, that's awesome. I, I love that. I, just the faithfulness of God in our lives is so beautiful. The power of the salvation, it, it doesn't run out. You know, as humans, we're, we, we're so used to material stuff that runs out of energy. You know, this is great, but it wears off, you know. But with God, it's not that way. You know, as long as we're willing to grow and stay in touch with Him and keep on seeking Him, He, he never runs out. I, it blows my mind. His mercies are truly near every morning. Let's pray. I'm taking a little long introduction here. Father, we thank You for today. I'm asking that You would meet us this morning. God, as we talk about evangelism uh, and the work of the evangelist and our role within the body, our role within the local church. Jesus, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. Uh, Lord, let your scripture, your word, really speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reinforce your word in our hearts this morning. I pray that we will not just have intellectual ascend, but God, that we would have a real heart transformation and, 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 and a deep internal motivation to obey your word, Father God, and to understand our role and work within this church and within the body, within the city. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Great. Awesome. Y'all doing good? Can y'all hear me? I feel like I have a little feedback here. Do I sound okay to you guys? I sound weird to myself, but I'm not going to let that distract me. Okay, good. Good. I'm just going to step a little bit back. Um, so the, the first three things I want to talk about is the motivation for evangelism. We used to do this seminar um, in, in Nashville. 
I work for Dr. Rice Brooks. How many of you are familiar with, with Pastor Rice, Dr. Rice, Bishop Rice? He's got d- different titles. Um, so I work for him as an evangelist. My wife and I moved to Nashville from South Africa in 2012, April. I had no idea why I was a professional. I worked with professional athletes after I retired. My wife and I had orph- started orphanage in Africa. So we thought that our calling was orphans and athletes, um, you know, ministry. And, and, and we started a church plant in, um, in, in Europe, France. And uh, we actually all, God gave me a vision six years ago. And this month, they're actually planning the church. The guy I took with me to France, we went to five different cities, gathered a bunch of unbelieving guys there. We had some contacts. We gathered them. And in the, in the, over a meal, guys started getting born again, saved. We started getting words and knowledge for people with injuries. We'd pray for them. They would feel the power of God. Mormons, atheists, science believers, people that would tell me in my face, I don't believe in your God. I say, okay, that's okay. Let me pray for you and let's talk again. And we'd pray for them. They would get drunk in the Holy Ghost. In Europe, while people around us are getting drunk with alcohol in clubs. Um, so we saw the power of God move in a very dark context, which is interesting because the evangelist tends to be drawn towards those that's in darkness, which means you've got to actually go where they go. You've got to go find them, right? How many of y'all were in church when God found you? You probably weren't in church. You, you, you probably ended up in church, but he found you somewhere else and started luring you in, right? So the first step to Jesus, most likely for an unbeliever, is not church. The first step is a, coffee, a cup of coffee with you in a Starbucks or a, a lunch with you in a work break or a conversation quickly at the water fountain as you go in your life, in your day-to-day life. So I typically work on campuses, but I didn't get say, I didn't do campus ministry starting out. I was a a former athlete and businessman. I started my first business when I was 19. Um, you know, my mom and dad are both entrepreneurs. So that's kind of my world and my background is I love the marketplace. I love, even though I don't do any business today, I'm fully focused in ministry, which I'm really thankful for. It helps me keep sanity with five kids. Um, and I love what I do, but I understand most of you guys are just in the workforce. How, none, how many of y'all actually on a campus doing campus ministry? Nobody except for Sarah. Um, so most of you guys work, right? Have, have a job. Either own your own business or work for somebody else. Um, and that's the whole point of church-based evangelism. Uh, Pastor Rice was asked um, to do um, doctoral research um, on the condition of the North American church. Um, and so he embarked on that journey with about seven other um, leaders from um, different denominations. Um, and the studies overwhelmingly pointed to the fact that the church in North America at large, uh, about 80% of the church is plateaued or declining. Okay, so it's either plateaued or it's actually losing members and closing its doors. So they started reading more and, and he spent a couple, he actually spent a few years on, on his dissertation. And then in that process, God prompted him to actually write his dissertation on the gift of the evangelist and his, the, their role within the local church. So the primary goal for, today, goal for today is to, yes, talk about the work of evangelism, um, you know, the motivation, the methods, and the message. Those are the three M's we're going to cover today. But, but this all started because Pastor Rice did an in-depth study, um, thousands of, uh, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of hours. I don't want to say thousands. I don't know if it's actually thousands, but a lot of hours researching what's going on in the church in North America. And so the studies obviously showed 80% are plateauing or in a decline, that only 70% actually, 17% of the church grows through church migration. So in other words, people say, hey, my church is growing, but then you've got to ask yourself, okay, how many of those people coming to your church just left their church? 
So they kind of just become a migration of believers. You know, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. I don't like the worship there anymore. I don't like the preaching and the teaching there. I got what I need there, right? That mentality, I, I go to get, not to give, right? Very antithetical to scripture. But anyway, um, it's not about sitting there and being fed. It's about bringing what you got to the table, right? Now, if, if there's real major problems in the church, then you know, doctrinal or heretical. I mean, there's reasons to leave a church, but majority of Christians don't leave their church because their pastor is involved in heresy. They leave because they just are spiritually obese. They haven't really done anything with what they've learned. And then they think, well, let me go and uh, go, get a, go taste some different food, basically. And then they taste that food and they just walk around just so overweight spiritually speaking and they're just ineffective and then they start sitting and critiquing messages so they become professional message critiquers you know oh and they 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 they'll tell you how to preach a message and then you say well okay hold. man you're so wise and so smart so i'm sure that there's hundreds of people listening to you every week talk about jesus how what are you doing with this knowledge you have well i'm just here to tell you how to do your job better so we don't understand, the whole point of Christianity is not sitting and figuring out how we can get better. It's actually saying, listen, I need to get out there. I tell people this all the time. When you are in war, how many of you have ever been in a, men in here, hopefully no woman, but have been in a fist fight? I played rugby, so I, I was just by default in a lot of fights in my life. I had to just fight, you know. I just sometimes had no choice. People would just come at me, and it's either him or me, um, you know. So anyone knows that if you're in a fight, you don't care about someone's technique. All you care about is, are you helping? Are you in this fight? You know, you're not like trying to, you know, see if this guy knows how to roll. You, you're just saying, listen, we'll talk about that afterwards. But right now, all that matters is swing with me. Just, I don't care if you swing straight or around. Just swing. Do something. And see, that's what happens with Christians that's outside of the game. That's on the bench. They become phenomenal critics. But they're not in the game because when you're in the game, you don't care as much about the, the semantics. You don't care so much about the minutiae of ministry. You're more focused on the goal, the prize, which is lost people coming into the kingdom. And that's the whole point of evangelism. And that's the role of the evangelist. In fact, is to remind believers, hey, listen, this is not about the gifts and us getting more of Jesus. Because how many conferences do you have to go to before you do anything with what you've gotten? What people do is they divorce God's love from God's mission. They divorce them. You can't do that. You can't divorce evangelism and God's love from uh, evangelism from God's love. His whole the whole point of his of evangelism is his love. In other words, if God loves the world, what did he do? He gave himself to them. So what are we supposed to do? We've got to give ourselves to our communities and to our countries and societies and the nations. Because of love. We can't just bask in God's love over here and forget that God actually has a mission. That His love is connected deeply to His mission. Jesus was constantly on mission. Constantly. Every time we would go to a new city, boom, revival breaks out. And then people would say, please stay with us. He said, no, 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 i got to go to the next city. You see this constant going. So it wasn't because Jesus wasn't a patient pastor. I mean, He's the pastor of pastors. He's the, he, he's the leader of leaders. He's the, he's the good, he is the good shepherd. Yet you see him moving constantly, fluently to go to another city, to go to another village, to go to another people group. Why? Because that's his heart. Two things I want to do. One, I want to just define evangelism. Um, really, the word evangelism is mystical to a lot of people. Maybe it's not to you. But it really just means one who brings good news. That's really what it means. The word evangelist, the gift of the evangelist is someone who brings 
good news to somebody. In other words, someone has bad news, okay? And we'll talk about the message the last session, okay? So there's really bad, we are dead in our sins. There's not degrees of dead. If you're dead, you're dead. We don't say, oh, that person is dead, but that person is really dead. No, they're dead. We are dead, eternally dead in our trespasses and sins. And someone comes and says, hey, I have really good news. I, I, there's something I got to share with you that's, that's going to change your life. Not just now, but forever, okay? So that's really what an evangelist does. You carry the good news, and you don't just carry it around and share it. You actually bring it to somebody, okay? Now, there's, there's two different, um, different uh, concepts when it comes to evangelism. evangelism. There's the gift of the evangelist. So let's go to Ephesians 4. Verse 11 to 12, quickly. Let's read this. This is, this is some context. Ephesians 4, verse 12. I've got my Bible with me. I love my Bible. I actually love my hard copy Bible. If I really have to, I'll read it on my phone. But if I can, I'll read it. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Let's go read that together. Anyone there before me? Okay, can you read it for us out loud? Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 12. And he himself gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, Uh and some pastors and teachers, Uh for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the what? For the the equipping of the saints. So who gave the evangelist, the prophet, the teacher? God did. So who's the giver of the gifts? So it doesn't matter if I cry out to God, God, please make me a prophet. God, please make me an event. You can't ask God that. He decides before you were born what you are. Okay, so what we got to do is just embrace who we are. In other words, as an athlete, I, I had a specific position. And through trial and error, I figured out, hey, I'm really good at this. And then my coaches was able to put me in the right position. And I added the most value in that position to my team. Now, if they put me in another position, which, they, which some bad coaches did, my value was marginalized dramatically. But the moment I changed positions, boom, I just added a lot more value. So what we want to do is we want to, one of the goals of today is to figure out who has the gift of the evangelist. So now there's another part of evangelism. Let's go to 2 Timothy 4.5. Uh, so there's two instances. The Bible speaks about the gift, the office of the evangelist. And then it speaks about the work of evangelism. Let's, someone that's got that, read that for us. I'm, I'm going there slowly on deliberately. I really want one of you all to read it. 2 Timothy 4, 5. Okay, now Timothy, if you know anything about Timothy, he was not an evangelist. Timothy was mortified of talking about Jesus. Paul had to constantly encourage young Timothy, listen, buddy, do not despise your youth. And in fact, when, when Timothy would be sent to another church, Paul would write them ahead of time and say, listen, I'm sending you a little Timothy, but let me just tell you something about Timothy. He's a little bit timid. He's a little bit this. Timothy was not the most brave person, and even him, God, he, Paul said, listen, do the what? The work of the evangelist. So as believers... We can't just abdicate evangelism to the evangelist. The role of the evangelist is to help equip the body, the whole body. 
the prophet, the teacher, the, 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 the pastor, the apostle, and just the members of the church, people with gifts of mercy, mercy, gifts of giving, etc., etc., to equip them to become more effective for, within the work of evangelism. So who is called to the work of the evangelist? All of us. All of us got to go and evangelize. This, all of our, none, none of us are exempt from evangelism. Now, I think this is maybe one of the biggest areas of weakness when it comes to obeying the Bible is believers actually sharing their faith. I think this is one of the, the biggest areas where you can even maybe troubleshoot a little bit with a believer to even verify how much time they spend in prayer in the Word. Because every time I read the Bible, it's clear to me that God's more concerned about those around me than me. And I realize I have, I'm in a really good position here. And those around me are not. And, and something in me starts happening. The closer I come to Him, the more I think about those that don't know Him. The more I draw near to Him, the more I have intimacy with Christ, the more my heart starts breaking for those who don't know Christ. So in Matthew 9, verse 35, let's quickly go there. I'm, I'm taking you guys to liberty to a lot of Scripture because I believe that you know, a lot of times we motivate people to do stuff. And so we get them all excited, rah, rah, and it's, it's super exciting. But once we leave, the conviction and excitement leaves with us. Now, you have the Bible. The Word is yours, right? And if you go into the Word, there's a lot of good things in the Bible. So I want to be as biblical and, and, and really draw motivation today and inspiration from Scripture more than any stories more than personality, because see, what we can do is say, well, Ernie, you have that type of personality. Let me tell you, when I got saved, I was terrified of speaking to people about Jesus. I was terrified. In fact, I was not a great communicator on any level. I was just good at my sports. It's all I was good at. And I started getting these visions and dreams of standing in front of people and speaking and feeling God's authority hit people while I speak. And those dreams scared me so bad I, I try to forget them. I was like, I don't want to see that dream ever again. But see, as God starts working in us, what happens, He starts showing us our true identity and our true calling. And He takes a coward and makes them a hero. He takes an ordinary person and He does extraordinary things through that person. So if you're sitting here today saying, well, I, I don't know if I can do this. We have people in our campus ministry, that one, one girl, Sarah know who I'm talking about. Her name is Samantha Castillo. She was raised Roman Catholic. One of our campus missionaries, Abby Dew, um, led her to Jesus, started discipling Samantha. Samantha couldn't even look at your eyes. It was, it was painful talking to Samantha. I mean, she would walk in and she, like, like she is a university student. I mean, she is excellent. She's smart. She's beautiful. And she would walk in. I mean, if you do this, she would, she would just, like she suffered off PTSD or something. I mean, she was so terrified, so scared. And she didn't have a traumatic upbringing. She was just so fearful. Samantha now is leading people to Jesus just a year later. She is taking unbelievers, those outside of the body of Christ, and bringing them to Jesus, introducing them. Then Jesus changes them. Then she baptizes them and gets them filled with the Holy Spirit and disciples them. So what I've learned, if anything, in the last two years, working with young college students that comes in broken and insecure, is when Jesus finds them, He doesn't leave them the way He finds them. He doesn't leave us the way He found us. All of us can attest to that. Thank God he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't leave us the way He finds us, right? I mean, He changes us. He produces in us what we can produce in and of ourselves. It's a supernatural intervention. Someone outside of time and space coming and intervening in real time and real space and giving us what we couldn't have gotten ourselves. Matthew 9, 
35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, the good news, being a preacher. So we see Jesus evangelizing, okay? And his motivation was love. And I'll touch on that in a second. He says, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. Now let's stop for a moment. Jesus comes to Houston. He walks around on the streets of Houston. He goes to the party streets. He goes to the suburbs. He goes to the restaurants. He goes to the gym. He goes everywhere we go. When he walks around, what does he see? What does he feel? People are helpless and harassed. People need help. They don't know they need it. They feel it, but they can't put words to it. And they are being harassed. Harassed by who? By the enemy of man, Satan. Is every day against us, every single day. When you wake up, he's against you. When you go to bed, he's against you. He doesn't stop. He's fighting constantly. Principalities are fighting constantly, trying to withhold the truth from people so people can't see the truth. So they are at this, and they don't even know what's going on. So what they do is they just, like, it's like sheep being led to a slaughter. They're just walking, they're just walking with culture, just walking into, the de into death. They arrest. No, Jesus walks around, sees the multitudes, sees the crowds, goes into videos, and he looks at them and he doesn't say, oh gosh, those unbelievers, nasty. Oh, Lord, help them. He says, man, they're harassed. They're helpless. Let me go help them. Hey, hey, let me show you the truth. Let me bring you this way. Now, how often when we see sin and unrighteousness in its worst degree, do we feel God's compassion? Do we say, man, God, this breaks my heart. And you moved with compassion to that person. Say, I can't just watch you. Let me just step into your life. That's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of Christ. That's what he came to do. He came to change our hearts that we can see like him and feel what he feels. Look at this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. He says, listen, there are many waiting to see the truth. He's not saying, hey, hey, my kingdom is going to be defeated. Oh, gosh, we just, hey, just pray and hibernate and hide from the world. No, no, no. He says, listen, the harvest is plentiful. Every day when you wake up, remind yourself, write it on your mirror. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful because the darker culture gets, the more Christians believe that now it's harder than ever for people to get saved, which is actually the opposite of truth because the darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. In fact, darkness cultivates the right atmosphere for the truth to come in because now just having a good marriage is, revol is revolutionary. Just loving being in your marriage today is like huge. Hey, people say, man, I've been married. I'll tell people, hey, man, I've been married nine years. This will be my 10th year. I've got five kids. Oh, gosh, dude, I feel sorry for you. I say, well, what do you mean? It's the best thing I've ever done. What, what, what? And all of a sudden, because they're so used to culture seeing that as a death trap. And, that is, and not as God's design because they don't know the love of God. Now, I know that, so I'm not, I'm, I play dumb a little bit. You know, hey, why do you say that? Start conversations. He says, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors of you. Therefore, pray earnestly. Earnestly. What does earnestly mean? I'm going to preach on this tomorrow out of Exodus 32, where Moses implored the Lord on behalf of Israel. What does it mean to pray earnestly? Hey, God, um, Lord, today... Uh, you know, when you think about it, maybe help some of these people around you, me that don't know Jesus. If you really want to, you can use me. Amen. We just come from a week of prayer and fasting, right? 
I can almost guarantee, and this is not condemning to anyone, this is just uh, the truth about us as humans, is most of prayer and fasting is about our dreams and goals and visions. What we don't really fast for, what we don't really pray for, what we don't really seek the Lord for is those who don't know Christ. When's the last time you have wept with God for lost souls and felt God's heart to a point that it feels like it's going to break you inside? You think, I can't stand the pain and the knowledge of what's waiting for those that don't know Christ. You can't forget about hell. Don't, don't, because you live in a first world country and, and a lot of like real evil, like degrees of evil that's kind of hidden in our culture, don't forget that there's a hell waiting on those that don't know Christ. Now, hell is a bad motivation to preach the gospel because the love of God's a way better motivation. We don't preach the gospel out of fear. We preach it out of joy and faith and we're driven by the love of God, the truth of God. But hell's a reality. Many people is there as we speak and will go there as we speak. And you and I are divinely called by God on His own accord to partner with Him to snatch people from that death trap. I mean, it's a death trap and they are helplessly harassed and being pushed in that way. I mean, I look at young people and I look at culture on campus and you see the, 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 the cultural waves just swishing and pushing people back and forth and they're so identityless and the moment Christ comes in, boom, they stand in it, strong, unshakable, unmovable. When the waves come, they feel it, but they're not moved by it. They're not harassed anymore. They're not helpless anymore. The great helper is now inside of them. We have to, we have to implore God on, be, on behalf of the harvest. When I wake up in the morning, I don't pray for a harvest. I, he already told me there's a harvest. I, what I do is, God, help me to believe your word that there is a harvest, that today someone's got to hear me talk about you. This day, this day that you have made, someone has to hear me speak about your kingdom, your light, and your truth. And your truth will cut them in the heart that only your truth can, and they will be transformed. Because when I leave the house, that's not what I feel like. But by the time I get to campus after about 15 or 20 minutes of prayer, I feel that way. I remember back in the day when I played rugby, one of my teams were just terribly um, lost. And I remember God sending me there, which I thought I was there to play rugby, but I was really being sent in by God on mission. And when it finally clicked, I'm like, God said, you're not here for you. You're here for me. You're mine. You're my son. You, you gave your life to me. You are my instrument. You are my weapon. You are my hands and my feet. And so when that hit, one, it, it changed the world because now it wasn't about me anymore. So thank God life's not about us because if it's about us, man, it's terrible. Um, it's really, I mean, it's not a fun thing to just think about yourself the whole time. You know, it's depressing kind of. Um, and I get there and all of a sudden I see this darkness and I feel like, okay, I need to start preaching the gospel. And I remember it was so dark that when I left my home, I was so, I was almost depressed like going to practice, because I was like, the moment I walk in, is I'm just, it's like Paul said, listen, in Ephesus, I wrestled with, with, with beasts, talking about spiritual warfare. He said, it was terrible. And then he sends little young Timothy in there, like, hey, I'm leaving, you staying. And Timothy is shaking and shuddering. I felt that way. I was like, this is crazy. There's too much darkness. And I would have to put podcast in my ear just listening to one of my friends, um, Sheena Prater. I listened to him about it. this one sermon. I listened probably about a hundred times. I mean, every morning I put that podcast in and I would just listen and pray in the Spirit all the way to, to work. And the moment I get out, I had enough 
faith to get me about halfway and then boom, that heaviness came again. But in that process, many people came, came, came to Christ. In fact, this morning at five in the morning, I saw a video of one of my friends that I led to the Lord who's now got a ministry, leads hundreds of people to Jesus, starting to, is now a teaching pastor, you know, farmer and is leading revivals in South Africa. And I looked at him and I, I remember leaving my house and he was the first guy that got saved and it was so heavy. There was so much resistance. I had to build up my faith so much to start believing that when God said the harvest is plentiful, he actually meant it. I couldn't look at my circumstances and then decide whether I believe there's a harvest. No, 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 no. God's words, he tells me there's a harvest. So I'm, when I believe in Jesus, I believe in his book. This is his promises to my life. As believers, it's, it's kind of it's kind of sad how many believers don't really stand on God's word. Listen, if you want to do stand on anything, stand on the word. I'm gonna build my life on this word. Jesus, I'm gonna build on this. I'm, 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 this is solid ground. That is not solid ground. My feelings is not solid ground. My emotions, my, my people's opinion, the cultural columnists, that's not solid ground. But Lord, your word is solid ground. And as believers and as evangelists, we have to believe that. We have to more now than ever. There's a greater harvest today then I believe there ever has been in America. Because dark, dark, the gospel has been so diluted or has been so corrupted that just the real deal, people feel like, whoa, that, there's power in that. Because listen, the truth is powerful independent of you. Let me say that the truth is powerful independent of you. Truth is truth. <laughs> That's it. God's the author of truth. So when truth comes out, people feel it. I remember talking to people in my life and they said, listen, I don't believe in this stuff. And I said, that's okay. And I'll just start sharing the truth. I'm not, I'm not, I have nothing fancy. I, I'm not a scholar. I just the truth, the word, the truth, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, they started out really strong. And by the end of it, they're in tears confessing their sins. Why? Because the truth will set people free. Not my opinion. I, I, you can never exalt your opinion above God's word. Have confidence in the word. Have confidence in the gospel. There's more people getting saved today. We started with 15 students two years ago, Sarah being one of them. Now we have over 100 students in connect groups every week. Young people on a liberal campus worshiping Jesus. We baptized 45 students last semester alone. And our campus ministry, majority of them was led to the Lord by students, not me. Worshiping God, loving Jesus. Like he's the best thing that's ever happened because he is. But you know why these students are effective? Because we challenge them to trust God's truth. Don't compromise the truth. Don't hide the truth. Don't steer away from the truth. Preach the truth. Pastor Rice Brooks always says, listen, I'll share my ice cream with you, but I'm going to preach the truth to you. I'm going to preach. I don't share the gospel. I preach the gospel because this is life and life everlasting, okay? You all tracking with me? All right, so we're still on the, the topic of the motivation. Okay, Pastor Rice is releasing a new book which I would recommend to anyone that's really interested in, um, in evangelism to read. It's called The Human Right. He makes a really strong case for the fact that the gospel is actually a basic human right. Um, people ought to hear the gospel. That it's, it's only fair to them to hear the gospel. No one has the right to withhold the gospel from another person. No one has that right. It's a basic human rights. So today, one of the biggest um, 
you know, kind of the coolest new thing is social justice. You know, I remember vividly this one lady on campus, we got this maybe two semesters ago, and she was in tears. She was at that point an atheist. She's now a believer, but she said, I'm an atheist, and, and, and I just can't understand how God will allow all this evil in Africa happening. And it just bothers me. And she started giving me examples of all these kids in Africa, which, by the way, my wife and I helped them. And we have 11 orphanages in Africa. So I, I'm very familiar with the, the, the evil and the, the human um, atrocities, uh, you know, the, the kind of the, just the failure in of caring for humanity in Africa. I'm very familiar with that. I was faced with that growing up and apartheid and oppression and just poverty. It's terrible. And I said, I said, you are really concerned about, you know, humans. It's... It's, it's amazing and it's keeping you from God. So, so I suppose that you've been to Africa to help these people you're so concerned about. She said, I've never been. I said, well, you must give them some money. Like you are in tears so broken over these people. What have you done? Have, have, has, your, has your heart moved you to any action? No, I've never done anything about it. I said, well, let me just help you see the hypocrisy here. I don't think... You care as much about people as God cares about them because God right now has thousands of missionaries in Africa serving the people you just talked about and you living a very luxurious life in America hating God because you love sin. And, and you could see that kind of just took her a couple of steps back and later on she found me one day. She's not a part of our ministry. She got saved in another ministry. She said, I gave my life to Jesus. And I was like, thank God. You know, because we, we, some sow, some water, but God brings the increase. You know, it's, it's God's decision where people land. But it's my job to, pro, to proclaim the gospel to them and help them see the truth. And also help them see how much they really don't care about the truth, right? Does that make sense? All right, so the gospel is a basic human right. Um, always remember that. So don't withhold human rights. As much as we will not hold, withhold women's rights and children's rights and say, no, 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 these kids have a right, these women have a right, these men have a right, these, these people groups have a right. All of these people have a right to hear the gospel. And if you know the gospel, it's unfair and unjust to withhold that from them. Does that make sense? Are you all tracking with me? That's the book right there. Thanks for putting that up, Pastor Chris. Okay, so John 3.16, again, just biblical motivation. I'm going to wrap this session up here in a few seconds. Um, so John 3.16, this is probably one of the more, most overquoted scriptures and I think most underappreciated scriptures in the Bible. Most people know the scripture before they know Jesus. Yeah, 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 I know John 3.16. Uh. Okay, so the first... I think major point that I would want for you to write down today is, is obviously what is really our motivation for preaching. So when God called me uh, into ministry, um, you know, the only thing that drove me was God's love for people because he saved me. I'm, I'm going to heaven. So why can't I just go to heaven and go make money and, and live, live up my dream? You know, my dream was to have multiple properties and have a, be a helicopter pilot and fly from the one to the other and have a couple of horses and so often, you know, be involved in my local church and lead a connect group. And that's probably about the extent of what I wanted to do, you know. And, you know, and I was happy to do that. And I was really happy about the fact that he saved my life. I, I was really transformed by the gospel, um, you know. But then uh, when I started understanding more and more God's love for humanity, and God's mission, I started getting troubled uh, by my own vision for my life. 
you know, to the point that at some point I was like, you know what, I think I need to lay this vision down. This is a selfish vision. This is not God's vision for my life. And I'm not here to tell you to lay down your vision. I mean, you might have a godly vision for your life and you might not. But at the end of the day, what motivates us is John 3.16. So for God so loved the world, and you have to remember that every time you see someone this morning, at our, excuse me, yesterday morning when we checked into our hotel, the person helping us was a flaming homosexual. And he just, you know, he's, he's you know, you know, some people just, they want the world to know and they're kind of, it's like in your face. They're trying to let you know, hey, this is who I am and I'm so proud of that. And here I am, I'm a born again believer. I love Jesus. And I, in fact, Jesus set me free from, my, from adultery and many things. So I, I don't think the gospel can only set me free. I think the gospel can set you free too, you know. So I'm standing there for a moment. I was a little irritated. And then the Lord reminded me, hey, I love this man. And before I spoke out of ignorance and the flesh, the spirit intercepted and he said, love this man. And I, I, I was compelled by God to be kind to him. So my, my spirit and my flesh for a moment was a little bit at war there. But I got to remember John 3, seeing for God so loved the world. Now he's not saying the saved world, he said the world. And the world people that's living in worldliness, those who hate him. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Nothing that was made was made, was, was made without him. Everything that was, made, that was made was made through him, for him, and by him. And then he says, he came to his own and his own would not recognize him for they loved darkness rather than light. But because people loved darkness, Jesus didn't stand back. He knew they loved darkness more than him. They knew they, he knew they hated him. He, he, Jesus knew that, but what did he do? He still came. And see, as the evangelist, we, and, and, and when we do the work of evangelism, we can't let people's lives and the mess deter us from stepping in. In fact, it should be an extra motivation to step in and say, hey, let me get in here with your messiness. Because I, I, I remember there's a guy, Roderick Woodson, he's the traveling evangelist right now. He speaks all over North America, doesn't even have a high school diploma. Um, I was training a young guy in evangelism in Nashville, and we got done training. We got back in my truck. We pulled up at our church office, and as I get out of my truck, this guy walks to me, an African-American dude, pretty swole, pretty strong, and, and, but covered with shame. Have you ever seen someone that they walk around and it's like shame is written all over them? And didn't have to be a prophet to acknowledge that he's just, and he's like, hey man, I'm sorry, he can't even look up in my eyes. And, and I can tell he's going to ask me for most likely some money or something like that. And I said, hold on. And as he walked to me, I heard the Holy Spirit say, tell him this is a day of destiny, not a day of shame. I said, hey, sir, I'm sorry. Just before you apologize one more time, just know that as you're coming to me, God's telling me that this is a day of destiny, not a day of shame. And he, you know, he kind of looks at me a little bit funny. We've never met, never even seen this man before. I grab his hand like this and I say, okay, what's your name? He says, Roderick Woodson. I put my hand on his shoulder. I say, Mr. Roderick, we'll talk about your needs in a moment, but can I just pray for you right now? This young guy I'm training is standing right next to me. I start praying for him and all of a sudden he starts throwing up blood all in the parking lot. The young guy starts running away. He is freaked out. He has no idea what's happening. This guy falls on his knees. I mean, there's some things coming out of him in that moment. And I mean, he is weeping and then he's screaming and then he's doing some weird stuff. And I've got his hand. I'm just praying over him. And I realize, hey, God really meant it when he said, this is not a day and this is day of shame, but a day of destiny. And I started prophesying over him. I said, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. And when I said it, something broke in his, inside. It was, like, it was like God took a sledgehammer and broke something inside of him. And he just started praying in tongues. 
and he's just weeping, his tears coming down. He's on his knees worshiping God in this parking lot in his own throw up, in his own vomit. A profound moment. Today, that point, he actually ran out of gas in front of our church, okay? And he heard a voice say, walk this way, right when we pulled up. And as he walked to us, as he walked to us, what motivates us? The love of Jesus. You've got to remember, God loves this man coming to me. Don't, don't get irritated with people that's helpless in the rash. Don't get irritated. You never know. So as he's coming, because we make pre, we prejudge people before we even know God's heart for them. We lose sight of God's love for us, and then we lose sight of God's love for other people. Because people that know God's love remember God's love when they interact with other humans, right? So as he's walking to me, God's giving me clear instruction about his life. I, I don't know this man from Adam. Boom, God's doing something. I still don't even know the full extent of this. Today, he was losing his wife at that point. He couldn't see his children. He was out of money. His work was terrible. He was addicted to a lot of stuff. That day, the Lord started setting him free, delivering him. I had to disciple him. We had, uh, we had a, a couple more powwow moments with him. But today, he's preaching all over North America, does Facebook Live prayers and prophecies over people. Remember, prophet to the nations. He has over 6,000 views on almost, every, on almost every video he does. Thousands of comments, thousands of shares. Is leading more people to the Lord right now than I am. Roderick Woodson, you can go Google him yourself if you want to. Now, he, he is... He is not going to fit in this church. You know, he reads a different group of people. You know, he reaches a, 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 a people group that I, in fact, his mother was a prostitute. His father was a pimp. He was shot seven times in the streets in Chicago. I mean, it's the bottom line. Today, he's providing hope, preaching to white suburbia. I mean, so you just don't know. You have no idea. When you meet someone, you have no idea what's God's agenda. I just got done training someone, and we had a pretty monotonous training. I mean, nothing spectacular happened. We, I was just helping this guy starting dialogues with strangers and just a basic little training. He wanted to be trained in evangelism. And God knew, hey, listen, today I want to show up. But see, what drives us, what motivates us? It's the love of God. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave himself. So what does love do? Love gives. Love always gives. We can't claim God. We can't say, man, I know Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. We, we claim the blessings of God, the promises of God. We, 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 we claim that we stand in His love, yet we don't give ourselves to His mission. So what drives us in evangelism, it has to be the primary motivation must be the love of God, okay? And the last thing I want to say here, because we're out of time, is obedience, See, love and obedience go hand in hand because if we love Him, we obey Him, right? We, we can't divorce love from mission. The love of God is seen in people through their obedience to God. In other words, God said in Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel. If I'm not preaching, I'm disobeying. Okay? I'm sorry if that hurts, but if I'm not preaching the gospel... I am disobeying Jesus. It's a command. So it's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. In other words, those who claim the love of Jesus should be motivated by that love to want to go and preach. Now again, this is not to verify salvation, right? Because we don't get salvation through what we do. 
But there are some things that's associated with salvation in the revelation of Jesus. Because I had no desire to preach the gospel to anybody before Jesus. And after Jesus, boom, I couldn't stop it. I mean, I couldn't, st- I just wanted to tell every, the world, and still I want the world to know about him. Why? Because his love motivates us to obey and empowers us to obey his what? Commission to obey him. So evangelism is not a feeling. Let me tell you, there's many times, because, you know, obviously we understand the Bible says in John that my disciples will be known by this, that they will love one another. Now, that love, the word there, the word form is a verb. It's, it's an action. It's a decision. So it's not a feeling. My disciples will be known by this, that they will choose every day to love one another. So there's days that I wake up and I don't want to tell anyone about Jesus. But because I know the love of Jesus and I know that he's Lord over my life, my feelings and my emotions just don't dictate my, my actions. I can't trust my feelings. I can't trust my emotions. But I know God said, listen, Ernie, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And the Great Commission, as a matter of fact, Matthew 28, is a command to go into the world. And not just the world, not some parts, all the world. I'm commanded by him. And then he said, listen, when you go, I'm with you. So a lot of people say, Ernie, I want to know the grace of God. Man, I want to see the power of God. I said, well, go on mission with him, and it will quickly become a reality in your life. Let's pray. I'm out of time. I have more thoughts for you, but I can't share them right now. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the motivation of evangelism that begins with you and it ends with you, Jesus. It's your love. It's what you did for us on the cross. And Lord, I pray today even that you would remind us of your love for us and your heart towards us. And God, I pray as we are reminded of your love, Father, Holy Spirit, as you remind us that we would be motivated to share this love with, the, with our city and, Lord, with the nations. God, let us be a people that's giving of ourselves as you have given yourself to us. Lord, Lord let us be known by that, that there's no ask too big, that you can't ask us for anything too big, Father. We love you, Jesus. Amen.